0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Life with GDPR. This is the podcast series where, together with Jonathan Armstrong, partner at Quarterly Compliance in London, we take a look at data privacy, data protection, and all issues related to GDPR, the English data protection law, and data protection and data privacy laws in the United States. It's a podcast that every compliance practitioner needs to be a listen to and be a part of the discussion going forward for this most important issue in compliance today. I'm Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. Life with GDPR is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode of Life with GDPR with Compliance pri- Excuse me, with Data Privacy Data Protection expert Jonathan Armstrong from Quartery in London. Jonathan, welcome thanks very much, Tom. So Jonathan, uh, we're recording this on october twenty three, I believe. And one of the topics that was bandied about this summer uh, as at, at as levels as high as on the opinion page of the Financial Times was Privacy Shield and where uh, this may be an issue that most practitioners are not as concerned about because it seems to be at a political level, I think the implications for the data privacy, data pra- uh, data <coughs> protection practitioner are quite significant. So I was wondering uh, if you might give us uh, kind of an update on
1: where we are. Sure, yeah, and, and I agree with you that this is potentially very significant indeed. <coughs> Excuse me, so to backtrack slightly, Privacy Shield came in to replace a scheme called Safe Harbour. And Safe Harbour was a system that existed for more than 10 years to enable data to be transferred from the EU to the US. And Safe Harbour, in terms of its use by Facebook, was challenged by an Austrian law student called Max Schrems. That case made it up to the ECJ, and they, rather than looking at the narrow topics, if you like, that Mr Schrems had asked them to look at, they looked at this on a much wider basis and effectively struck down Safe Harbour. That left most multinational corporations in a bit of a spot because even if they had not themselves signed up to Safe Harbour, then they usually relied on vendors who had. So people that were running payroll for them, HR records, travel management, et cetera, et cetera. Most of those vendors were relying on safe harbour. So when it went, that caused a bit of an issue, and it was replaced by a uh, system called Privacy Shield. Now, the relevant EU commissioner, Vera Jourová was proud of the fact that she invented the word Privacy Shield to show that it was materially different from Safe Harbor. However some were not convinced. I had the opportunity to interview Mr. Schrems about his role in this case, there's a summary still on our website, and he called it, if I remember correctly, Safe Harbor with flowers on it. Now, there are a number of challenges to Privacy Shield, it's probably easy to look at each of them in turn. Firstly, regulators are not happy. German regulators in uh, in particular are not happy, and some have asked the German government to give them the right to bring their own case directly to the ECJ, thinking that the ECJ will follow the same logic in the safe, harbour uh, case and knock it out completely. Now, I guess we're in Las Vegas, so in terms of betting odds, I would say the odds of that case are maybe 10% likely to be a threat to Privacy Shield because there's some constitutional uh, hurdles to get past. What is more likely, I think, is that privacy regulators join up together probably using this new EDPB, the European Data Protection Board, which was created by the GDPR regime, and uh, ask for safe harbour to be suspended or say that individual data protection regulators should assess the adequacy (coughs) of each um, corporation's data transfer as if Privacy Shield didn't apply, or at least to uh, approach it with caution. I would have said that's a fairly likely result. Uh, Vera Yarova went to see the EDPB uh, uh, at their last meeting. She was a late insert to the agenda. And that tells me that Vera Yarova's thinking is probably similar to mine, that there is at least a possibility, if not a probability, that the EDPB will um, decide that they want to dog in this fight. So if I was thinking percentage-wise, I would say there's maybe an 80% chance. Uh, by the way, these are not legally binding percentages and, <laughs> and uh, this doesn't constitute legal advice. I'd say there's an 80% chance that... Uh, You're not licensed to practice law in the state of Nevada. Thank you very <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much. That the EDPB will intervene in, in some respects. Now, as well as the sort of challenges from regulators, There's a lot of political complexity as well. So the um, European Parliament have been long-standing opponents, or many in the European Parliament have been long-standing opponents of the Privacy Shield schemes, thinking it didn't offer adequate protection. So Jan Albrecht, for example, an MEP, has done a lot of work in this area, Uh, some of it in conjunction with Mr Schrems, they... They, uh, they they chat between themselves, they found identity of interest. And an influential European Parliament committee called for Safe Harbour, so Privacy Shield to be suspended from September one, just gone. Now that obviously didn't happen, but the Parliament I think will continue with its objection to the Privacy Shield. Uh, scheme, So obviously the chances of them getting involved going forward I think will be 99.97% uh, percent likely because they have a, a long history of concerns about, about Privacy Shield. There are a couple of things that the US has done, one good, one bad, I think. Uh, Wilbur Ross was sent over to Brussels to uh, walk the halls and chat to people and say that the U.S. was serious about uh, uh, data privacy. They have now appointed the Privacy Shield ombudsman. It's it's still a curious um, permanent temporary appointment to replace the temporary permanent appointment. Um, uh, so they've they've switched individuals. Uh, but as I understand it, uh, she is also trying to be more visible. The FTC have brought about eight enforcement actions now, but, <coughs> but they're not actions enforcing Privacy Shield as such. They're actions against people who falsely claim to be part of Privacy Shield. One of the alarming things, it seems to me, from a little bit of analysis I did, is that maybe about 20% of the organizations that signed up for Privacy Shield are no longer part of the scheme. Probably because many of them failed to renew their uh, annual registration. And so I think that's an alarming drop rate if those figures are correct for a scheme that's still, you know, it, it's, it's yet to have its second annual review. The other concern politically is that, certainly to me, probably to you, uh, Tom, the, the term annual... Uh, I'd understood to mean once a year. Um, The scheme here, um, the uh, annual review seems to be rather a fluid thing. The uh, Commission have said that they are in the middle of their annual review. The date for that annual review has passed, but they're still committed to an annual review of the scheme, and now seem to be saying that they will have made some sort of decision by the end of the year. Now, given that this was a scheme that started in a February and went live from memory in June and has only had one annual review, I'm not sure how those timelines work. And that's, I think, unhelpful. If um, the Commission particularly are b- trying to be seen to operate as if they were a business, um, I think their attitude would be somewhat less sympathetic if, for example, a corporation subject to an annual Uh, submission of its accounts, decided to do it every 19 months because it was rather busy, I suspect they'd be less sympathetic to such a lapse in corporate governance. And it's a a shame that a regulatory system is not subject to the same uh, scrutiny. Um, But anyhow, so needless to say, the political situation is somewhat complex. There could be a situation in which Vera Yarova decides to bail out if she decides that the US has not uh, made uh, big enough progress, I would have thought a more likely result would be that they say we're going to have a six-monthly review instead of an annual review or there's some sort of a qualified renewal of the Privacy Shield scheme. So I think it's a watch this space on the on the political element, I'd say there's maybe a thirty to forty percent chance of the commission uh, unilaterally uh, withdrawing, if you like, or failing to renew. The other thing that I think is so the third right I think of challenge to privacy shield is litigation. So we know that mr Shrem's, uh there is another complaint involving Mr. Schrems against Facebook, which is in a somewhat complex situation at the moment. It's a referral from the Irish domestic courts to the ECJ in much the same way as the original Safe Harbour case. However, my understanding is that there's a challenge going through the Irish courts to that referral, so the Irish courts will have to decide whether constitutionally they have the power to refer it to the ECJ. That may cause some delay, but it's in the list for the ECJ to hear the case, that my view would be that probably won't happen now till 2019. There are some other challenges kicking about, one from a French pressure group called uh, Le Quadrature du Net, um, one from an Irish pressure group. They've been brought to different courts, and they would appear to have, um, if not been fatally wounded, then to be uh, limping... uh, limping along. So my suspicion would be, again, if I was a betting man, that those two smaller actions, if you like, probably will not happen. But I think there is a a likelihood that the ECJ referral will happen, either from this current Schrems case or or elsewhere. I think the ECJ, uh, there'll be a willingness for the ECJ to hear that case, I think. Now, of course, we can't predict the result. It could be a differently constituted court that thinks differently. Um, I would have thought that the objections that lie, that, that, that lay to Safe Harbour, also uh, lie to Privacy Shield. So I would have thought there is a better than evens chance of the ECJ effectively striking down Privacy Shield. And I would have said there is. Um, an 82.35% chance that the ECJ will hear that case, Uh, I, I would have said unlikely to be 2018, possibly 2019. So in practical terms, where does that leave corporations now? Well, firstly, I think they've got to monitor this fluid situation very, very carefully indeed. And the reason for that is not only whether they're in Privacy Shield themselves or not, but as I've said, it's the same situation. Most of the vendors they rely on are in Privacy Shield. And if Privacy Shield disappears, they will need to put in place another way of legitimizing the transfer of data immediately. They'll need to be prepared to do that or they'll need to think of a plan B. So if they're using PeopleSoft and PeopleSoft relies on Privacy Shield, then you've either got to make sure that you are able to have an alternative arrangement with, privacy, uh, with PeopleSoft in place should Privacy Shield fall, or can you live without your global HR database still, until such times as you can get a new agreement in place with PeopleSoft or whatever, whatever. And one of the lessons we learned in uh, Safe Harbour, I talked to one vendor, not a particularly large vendor, uh, in uh, the days after the collapse of Safe Harbour, they were receiving 200 requests uh, per day to a small legal team, you know, what are you going to do with Safe Harbour collapsing? And they were operating a ticketing system. So, you know, you asked the question first, you got number one, they, they were only able to respond to 15 to 20 requests a day, and they just stacked people up. So their queue of uh, emails awaiting reply uh, was in the thousands, um, let alone those where they offered supplemental agreements, etc., etc. Now, some vendors tried to automate that process to speed it up, so that you could create your own new template agreement and sign it, etc. But do not underestimate the effort involved. And unless you are responsible for 70% of the revenue of your vendor, you can't rely on them to come and get in the boat and take up an oar and start rowing alongside you. So now is the time to think of alternate routes or to think of alternate ways of doing business. And the options are somewhat narrow. There is um, standard contractual clauses, so what are called the EU model terms. They're subject to challenge in the same Schrems-related litigation and in a nightmare scenario could be struck down by the ECJ the same day. So, so um, standard contractual clauses aren't necessarily uh, a safe route. Consent would be another option. Consent is going to be very difficult to do for most corporations in a post-GDPR environment. But maybe the option that most will want to explore is binding corporate rules. Binding corporate rules uh, did exist pre-GDPR. They're a different animal post-GDPR. I've been speaking to quite a lot of regulators about BCRs recently. Uh, A number of our clients are exploring that as an option. Regulators are being much more accessible Um, It might still take you about a year. The ICO, for example, is is still giving out an estimate of about a year to put the scheme in place from start to finish. But that timing could work, given the delays in the ECJ. It's certainly worth exploring. And also, for example, I've been speaking to the Swiss regulator recently, and whilst obviously Switzerland isn't in the EU, they're saying if you've got an EU-BCR scheme, the probability is (coughs) that Switzerland will just rubber stamp that. So it's a little bit like a, a two-for-one deal in terms of binding court rules and, and protection. So most people, I think, would be wise to look at BCRs uh, as an alternate option. But is the system, is the current situation clear? Not at all. I've tried to give some percentage chances because I know a lot of people throw out probability and possibility but the, the the watchword must be keep monitoring these developments because they're very fluid.
0: So the, uh, the sense I get from this is, uh, first of all, from the political perspective, I see uh, zero will in the United States to uh, even cooperate, but perhaps uh, even move forward uh, to either agree with uh, the EU or put in place a system that will satisfy the EU. It seems to me that this administration has... Um, gone out of its way to attack the uh, EU data uh, regulators. Yeah. And uh, has, uh, it's not clear to me uh, how sensitive they will be to your, uh, U.S. political situations or if they will just thumb their nose and, and do, go their own way uh, simply for that reason. It's a long-winded way of saying that I see the solution, unfortunately, uh, in this area driven by U.S. Uh, corporations, much the way um, U.S. corporations have had to take over kind of the lead in um, doing business across the globe in a manner that is uh, ethical and in compliance with uh, international standards, norms, and national laws. Um, Corporations are going to struggle with this, and corporations are going to have to take the lead because this administration will not really do anything to facilitate the uh, political settlements that have been uh, bandied about, and this means exactly as you ended that you must not only continue to monitor the situation, but you may must be proactively ready to to jump in and put a solution in place for your corporation, even if it's a different solution, uh, you know, from corporations B, C, D, and
1: Z. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think there have been some unhelpful comments when. We had the first safe harbor crisis. I remember that there was a very unhelpful comment from a US ambassador, which I think set back the US cause substantially in Europe and fueled the grievances of the European Parliament in particular. It is a crying shame that the US did not learn a lesson from that. And some of the language uh, recently from, uh, I believe, a different ambassador has been in in, in and and unwise Uh, and I think that this is a situation that is somewhat volatile and we need uh, I know you're a fan of Liverpool but uh, in Liverpool terms we need what I believe is known in the Liverpool vernacular as a moment of calm down, calm down, calm down uh, rather than uh, bringing uh, heat to an already difficult situation So with... um
0: and I guess this is your the
1: impression. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, I hear that in Houston quite often, actually. The, um, the corporate response uh, to this, I think, uh, as I said, will, will really lead the discussion. And uh, it's, as you said, not only watch this space, but perhaps uh, if you're a corporation, you, you might want to start planning as well. Yeah, exactly. So, Jonathan, as always, thank you. It's been a fascinating exploration, and we will definitely be back uh, to talk about uh, Privacy Shield or not uh, yeah. in future
1: episodes. My pleasure.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jonathan at jonathan.armstrong at com hope you'll join us again for another episode of Life with GDPR. Life with GDPR is part of the Compliance Podcast Network.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.